0: You're listening to the Australian Army Training and Doctrine podcast.
1: This is Exercise Hamel 2016, and I've come to the Combat Training Centre to meet Colonel Damien Hill, who's the commander here. So tell us about the role of the Combat Training Centre as part of Exercise Hamel.
0: The Combat Training Centre's mission is to uh, conduct enhanced collective combat training to high readiness forces. Uh, and uh, to support Army's contingency operations. So specifically that means uh, we provide a training environment uh, that enables us to certify and evaluate our forces going through their readiness period, as well as those forces who are about to deploy in operations.
1: Specifically then, what do you do on a day-to-day basis when the exercise is live?
0: So on, a, on an exercise such as HAMIL, uh we provide uh, observer trainers across both the blue uh, friendly forces and the enemy forces um, primarily to focus on how they perform the tasks they are given uh, against our doctrine and against the standing operating procedures that we have to provide both formal and informal feedback uh, in in what we call after action reviews.
1: And how is the data that those observer trainers collect recorded?
0: So, we use uh, some uh, relatively new technology for us, which is uh, what we call a mobile ad hoc network. So, imagine a mobile internet. Uh, they capture their observations on tablets. And that is then synchronised back into our exercise control centre, where I have uh, both the military and civilian uh, contracted uh, relationship. Uh, they will analyse the observations against what we call the mission essential tasks, and they are The key elements that we require uh, the exercise audience to undertake to determine whether we've actually achieved what we set out with on Exercise Hamill, they will provide both the quantitative and the qualitative analysis to tell Army that Exercise Hamill was either successful or needs to focus on other areas in future, and indeed provide the performance report about how well it did.
1: What kind of training then do the OTs, the observer trainers themselves, receive to perform that role?
0: The Combat Training Centre is a relatively mature organisation when it comes to uh, the soldiers and officers in it. So the average age of uh, a soldier within CTC is 35 years old and the average time in service is 17 years. So why am I saying that? That's because they're very experienced in their specific areas of Army. What we do is we bring that subject matter expertise into CTC. We train them on the techniques of observation uh, and the techniques of what we call the teach-coach-mentor. And that is, teach is about identifying an area which is of concern and providing a capacity to tell them what they're doing wrong and give them options of how to fix it. The coach is very much like a sporting coach. Uh, You provide a degree of insight into different ways of doing business. You provide performance about how well they've done with an aim that the next time they perform that same type of activity, they improve. And the mentoring is more of a long-term relationship that we have. We try to align some of our key OTs with specific units across army to build a longer relationship so there is an engagement not just when we're on exercise but throughout the year so that when CTC conducts an activity to support a training audience they already are aware of the types of people we have have a relationship and so that we are embedded into the exercise very quickly and there's not this uncomfortable feeling when you're in the audience of someone watching everything you do.
1: You talk about the importance of that long-term relationship. How is that maintained? Because people post in and out of positions all the time, things can change, people are deployed. So how do you maintain that contact to ensure that long-term benefit is maintained?
0: Uh, that's my job um, as the commander. My job is to engage all of parts of Army, educate them on the role of the Combat Training Centre, provide them our insights into previous years and we also generate a thing called the trends report which is basically an annual insight into what we've observed over the last 12 months um, at all levels of army looking at things we've done really well and the things we need to improve on we provide that across army we brief that to everyone before an exercise so that they understand these are the things that we see all the time Be prepared for that. If you're able to train to reduce and eliminate that, you'll get a better training benefit. We also educate everyone on the Combat Training Centre. We make sure that they understand our job is to assist them in performing better next time um, by telling them how well they did during the activity that we're undertaking, as well as providing that feedback to their commanders so that when they are actually doing their own training without CTC, they're training at a much higher level than they would be if it wasn't for CTC injects into the training continuum.
1: For Exercise HAMIL then, what have been the main priorities?
0: So from our perspective the main priorities is focusing on observing the mission essential tasks. So we are looking at supporting the evaluation of HAMIL, which we do through observations. We don't conduct evaluation, that is the Forces Commanders remit. My job is to provide formal and informal feedback directly to the commanders in the ground and we do that um, by providing them um, after action reviews which is engagement as well as a a take home pack we call it which is a written summary of how we saw uh, them their performance during the exercise we target the observations for key activities that we know will occur we bring those observations out and we come together uh, as, a, as a group of OTs and there are about 150 observer trainers across the force and sit down and actually try to collate the observers so that we bring out all the observations, so we bring out key areas. So for, it might be simple as planning, logistics and indeed the tactics that they employ against the enemy that is arrayed against them.
1: You also use simulation as part of what you do, so how does that work?
0: So. We've got two parts of simulation here. One is live instrumentation simulation and the other one is constructive simulation. I'll talk about live because live is something that CTC uses all the time. So we have a thing called the live instrumentation system. It replicates uh, through lasers and sensors, uh, live firing. Obviously we're in a field training exercise here using predominantly blank rounds but using our live instrumentation system which is a series of sensors that we set up on all of our equipment and our lasers uh, to, that replicates the engagement of, uh, of live firing, we're able to conduct a degree of adjudication and also demonstrate that whether the tactics employed by both sides were right or wrong or indeed whether they were just unlucky. That provides that. We also tie that into what is constructive simulation. So we have a live brigade, so an actual brigade, but it's part of a wider force. And we can't put that wider force in the field because we just don't have that. Uh, So what we do is we create a computer-based simulation which enables the frictions that occur within a brigade um, with all of its flanking formations. So effectively you have a live brigade, but a computer-generated constructive simulation that is entities in the computer being manipulated by humans, in Townsville in this instance, actually generating the noise that you would normally expect from a much larger live organisation, if that makes sense. So it's a, imagine a computer game where about two thirds of the force are in the computer and the other third are actually playing real.
1: How does that work then in practice, the idea of that interaction between virtual and real worlds? How does that play out?
0: Well, the great thing about it is it generates the friction because the entities in the computer are doing things based upon behaviours which we've generated, again, based on doctrine and SOP. So it creates the friction because we're able to bring those entities into our live battle management system. So they can actually see live entities or live soldiers moving around who have what we call blue force trackers. At the same time we can supplant the images of the simulation into that same battle management system. So the ability for them to communicate is exactly the same challenges as they have live because they've got to go back through, speak to the individual who may or may not understand the plan which means they need to articulate their plan better. So what we find is the constructive simulation generates not exactly the same friction but it replicates friction which is exactly what happens when you have thousands of soldiers uh, on exercise.
1: What kind of reactions do you get, though, from soldiers out in the field? The fact that they're not only having to interact with each other as part of the exercise, but they're also dealing with computers, with these virtual
0: soldiers as well. We live in a a pretty high-tech world. We don't have an issue with young soldiers innately understanding uh, the mix of live versus uh, simulation. They're from a generation of Xbox, so they get it. They get the interaction, and in fact, if anything, they, they... a little bit disappointed that we can't replicate Xbox. We'd love to do that, and certainly we're working towards that, but it's those of us uh, dinosaurs in our 40s and 50s that are the ones that have to uh, actually ask them what we can do better to increase the training benefit to them.
1: So is this the way that the Army is going, do you think? Very much down this simulation route, really starting to leverage these new technologies?
0: We have to, because we can't live fire, we can't live fire against each other, that, that's just not ever gonna happen. Um, so what we need to do is we need to make it as real as we physically can in the environment that we have available to us. So anything we can do that teaches a soldier uh, the right individual soldier skills, stresses the headquarters in how to command and control very large, complicated, and indeed in some cases, complex organisations will only make us more efficient when, if and when we're actually asked to do this for real.
1: For those sceptics out there that perhaps do struggle with the fact that technology is really starting to drive the way the Army conducts its training, what would you say to them?
0: I would say that we do more with less. I would ask when was the last time we conducted such a large exercise where we were able to simulate so many more forces, so many more injects, joint as well as our own Army capabilities. When the weather is an issue, I can simulate airframes and other activities to gain training benefit for the audience removing weather as an issue because we we can't afford for weather to get in the way of training certain aspects of our force because they'll only get this once or twice a year. They need to come and see how much more we do with so much less. So for example, for me to replicate this in a non-digital world, I would have to have probably six or seven hundred observer trainers. I'm able to do it with about 150. And the ratio of, of support staff to actual staff inside the exercise is about, for every 10 soldiers that are actually on the exercise, is one support staff. If I were to do this in an analog world, it would almost be 10 support staff to every 10 soldiers. So we're actually increasing the efficiency of the way we train.
1: Given then the capability that you do have in the combat training centre and the technology you're using, what have you been able to notice so far? What's standing out during Exercise Hamill as takeaway messages in terms of where the capability is right now of the Australian Army?
0: We are um, thinking much more operationally than we used to. So we've very much been an army for many years that is very comfortable in the tactical fight. We're very good tacticians. But when you fight at a much larger scale, as we are doing here, you have to think differently. You're still required to be very good at those basic skills, but your capacity to bring in all elements of the army, a joint and interagency, requires a, a different type of thinking, uh, and so it's making us think outside of that. At the same time, we're able to test some capabilities and modernise using the technology we have available and identify areas that we potentially can improve the way Army does business and argue our case for modernisation to government because we have evidence based on such large scale exercises, the use of simulation to look at other aspects of our force we can't replicate and say to government and say to our modernisation areas here is the evidence to say that we either need this capability or we don't need this capability which is equally as important.
1: For you then, Exercise Hamill, no question regarding what it can contribute and the difference it can make.
0: Absolutely, this is the first time I've been in the outside of Exercise Hamill. I've spent the last three years as one of the training units inside it. And from purely just from a very, very simplistic point of view, the outcomes of Exercise Hamill enabled me to plan my unit's training for the following year, learning, from what we take out of Hamel and applying it to the next training evolution, so that when I went into Exercise Hamel the following year, I was prepared for what I thought Exercise Hamel would provide me. The great thing about the evolution of Exercise Hamel is you're never fighting last year's battle. Hamel 16 looks nothing like Hamel 10, and indeed, I'd argue, looks very similar but nowhere near the same as Hamel 15.
1: Colonel Damien Hill, commander of the Combat Training Centre, thank you very much. This is Captain Shara Maskaldare, reporting from Exercise Hamill 2016. This podcast is produced by the Australian Army and is copyright, the Commonwealth of
0: Australia.